Welcome to the Customer Success Podcast, the official voice of the customer success community. Who's excited? Who's fired up? On this episode, Ruben Rabago sits down with Natasha Narayan, Chief Executive Officer at Iceberg IQ, to discuss why win-loss analysis is essential for any customer success-driven organization. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Customer Success Podcast. I can truly and honestly barely contain my excitement today because on today's episode, I have the pleasure of having with me a very dear friend of mine, um, former colleague, Natasha Narayan, uh, who is the CEO and co-founder of Iceberg IQ. We're going to be covering the topics of churn analysis, and what is really uh, now an expanded view of the deep examination uh, that is ultimately necessary to better understand why companies are winning uh, or losing uh, throughout the entire customer life cycle, um, and and really not just at the renewal or churn moments of truth. So with that, joining us today via Toronto uh, remote, welcome to the show, Natasha. Thank you, Ruben. I'm very excited to be here also. you know, having worked with you at Gainside, I was thinking my favorite memory of you is when we went to that client onsite in Rochester, New York, and then uh, went for dinner at that Spanish restaurant. And who knew years later we'd be sitting here? So, <laughs> no kidding. Um, and you know, you—it it was absolutely wonderful, and I, I learned so many things uh, from you during during that experience. Now, you've had uh, really over twenty years of, uh, of experience in tech sales. Um, You've helped grow international segments for U.S.-based companies, um, and you've spent much of your time engaging clients in New Zealand and Australia and certainly Canada. And, of course, the last five years has been almost exclusively in SaaS, is that correct, and in customer success? Yeah, Uh, and, of course, including uh, Gainsight, uh, where, uh, as you mentioned, you and I worked on um, really many strategic accounts together. I was always amazed at at your approach, uh, to be honest with you. It's um, how unsalesy um, you were with your, with the customers. And uh, inevitably, it always got you to the top of the leaderboard. So I was amazed uh, that um, just watching you engage and uh, how you were able to get um, the customers or the prospects uh, to tell their story. I thought that was really remarkable. And so when I... Uh, found out about this new uh, journey you were embarking on uh, uh, as co-founder and CEO of Iceberg, um, I was uh, really excited and uh, certainly elated uh, to know that it was a continuation of something um, uh, that was pretty remarkable. So I'd love for you to talk about um, why you made that choice and a little bit of of its origin, uh, how you got to to this point uh, in, in your career and in this journey for Iceberg. So I do really enjoy listening to customers and prospects, and I always feel like I'm an advocate for them. So I think that's just naturally a part of my my process is that I'm always trying to learn, trying to uncover what's important to them, and then being an advocate for them. And when I, I first joined Gainsight in 2015, I was you know I was there for four years, as you know. Um, we used to get these reports from an external research firm called Eigenworks, and I was always astounded by the amount of information that they would um, provide us based on these interviews that they would conduct with our buyers and our customers. 
And so they were actually a company out of outside of Toronto. So I reached out and Alan Armstrong was the co-founder. I'm sorry, the sole founder. And um, we became friends over the years. And so fast forward to this year, Alan actually passed away suddenly in the summer. And I reached out to the team to offer my condolences and and just check in and see how everything was going. I mean, that, yeah, they were hit pretty hard. And I found out that Eigenworks was going to be shutting down. And so after you know, 20 years of Alan doing this work, 10 years with Eigenworks existing, I couldn't believe that this company was just going to vanish into thin air. And so after processing what had happened and what they were, what they had to do, I reached out a few days later and asked if they would be interested in potentially rebooting it. And, and after, you know, a number of weeks and many conversations, we agreed to do so. And the first thing we did is went to Alan's family and asked for their support. And of course they were elated and, Honestly, I just can't believe the support from the community, the tech community, the product community, CS. I mean, it's, it's friends and family. And so to Julie Payne and Christine Culp are co-founders with me on this on this journey. And many of the team members have joined as well. And so we formed a new company called Iceberg IQ, really in, in honor of Alan and, and in honor of all the work that he's done. Yeah, it, it, I can't tell you my, my reaction was very visceral. You know, when you called me a few months ago and we talked about this new mission and purpose of yours, uh, I literally shed tears, uh, you know, both of, of joy um, and uh, deep loss uh, for Alan. The community's going to miss him significantly. Um, but I knew that you and the Iceberg team uh, will continue to amplify uh, that incredible legacy of good work that he started. Uh, and, and in fact, I'd like to uh, share a little bit about my own story um, with uh, uh, Alan's work, um, and certainly, as you mentioned, with Gainsight, uh, we were a client of theirs, and uh, we were the recipient of uh, those amazing, incredibly insightful um, interview uh, analysis reports. And uh, Nick Maida, at some point, I don't know if you remember this, uh, he literally uh, distributed uh, those reports as he received them uh, to the entire company. Um, he made it... Uh, he, essentially a mandatory directive to read it. Um, and I really love what he did. He said, you know, do so without a spirit or a lens of accusation or blame. Um, and I can tell you, you know, they were uh, sometimes really shocking. They were very raw. Um, what um, the interviewers uh, at Eigenworks and Allen were able to draw from uh, the prospects or the customers, um, especially those that had churned, um, and some were very unpleasant to read, especially, you know, if you had an account that you worked with um, and it was a target and maybe your name was even mentioned in one of the reports. So, um, you know, they portrayed moments that were emotional for the customer. Um, you, you would hear frustration and disappointment because these were on, at times really the very customers that wanted to succeed with your solution or with your product. Um, and ultimately it's what they they selected you over the competitors and to come to a journey where they had to um, ultimately make the decision not to be with you uh, was really hard and that all that information was able to be drawn out. And so I always found it fascinating um, that they were, that Alan and the team was able to derive like so much uh, raw information and emotional information, uh, incredibly useful uh, from the, the, the customers. So when Ashwin and I went about to begin structuring the content of our new book, which is called the Customer Success Professionals Handbook, you know, uh, 
we were literally compelled to bring uh, the very person responsible for sort of elevating our own appreciation for the art of interviewing people. Um, and I say people, not customers, right? Because we're talking, this is very much a human element uh, for the purposes of churn analysis and win-loss. Uh, we asked Alan to be uh, a contributor uh, to the book, and literally he was the very first person. Um, and he works so diligently to provide some, some amazing tips and tricks. And I'd love for you to dive into some of those um, because uh, as a continuation of your work here with Iceberg, uh, it is sort of that, that, that mission of um, why is it important um, to derive information from customers uh, when uh, they've made that decision uh, to not be your customer? Talk to me about, um, does, is it just important to focus on the win-loss aspect or just the churn aspect? You and I spoke earlier uh, in sort of preparation for this call of, of looking at through the entire life cycle. So I'd love for you to dive into that. Yes, absolutely. So, um, you know, I, earlier this, I think this, this industry is more about um, win-loss. And I, I see an evolution where win-loss is kind of limiting because it doesn't actually encompass the entire journey. So I see us as we're deal therapists, we're journey researchers, we're, and, and maybe it's helpful to take a step back and walk through a little bit of the process. So we sign up a client, which is typically a B2B technology company. Um, they either want to do a deep dive study on something that's happening in the business, or it could be an ongoing continuous cadence that's just on a quarterly basis, we're conducting X number of interviews every quarter. So we then manage that whole end-to-end -end process for them where we schedule the interviews, we invite uh, the buyers and customers to participate, we then conduct the interview, we then prepare a report, and we also roll up the data into a thematic analysis for them. And so win-loss in its infancy, I think, was more around how do we win more deals how do we learn from mistakes, from the losses, and continuously improve? But as you know, as we all know, and especially many of the listeners, that there's so much more of a focus now on retention um, because cost of acquisition is so high that that whole the series of events that happen from signing up with you to either renewing or expanding are equally important. And so I see this more as you know journey research across both the buyer and, and the customer. Uh, life cycle and journey. That, that, I agree. I, I think that is absolutely spot on. Um, one of the things that uh, I, I can tell you we've drawn from uh, that learn analysis is pairing up uh, the human aspect alongside all of the data and the telemetry. Um, I mean, it's almost to the point where there could, you know, I could see this movement or this belief that um, there's so much data on our customers. And we have so much, uh, so many signals of why a customer might have, why it might have left. Why is it necessary to still draw out that that human element uh, from your customer? So absolutely, you know, we live in a world of AI. We've got so many metrics that we're measuring against, and and we believe that nothing replaces having a conversation with that person and understanding their story, and so. The methodology that we that we um, provide and how we conduct these interviews is really unique as well. So it's not as though we've got a question and answer, a series of questions that we're asking in a survey type format. We we encourage the buyer or the customer to really tell their story. We put them into storytelling mode. So we spend a lot of time understanding their profile, who they are, what their company does. 
And then we also see them, we call it buyer as hero. We see them as this, as this person on this quest. They're set out to achieve something. So we spend also, it's almost like we're doing a sales rediscovery. Um, what were they really set out to achieve? And so what was their vision for change? What was the, uh, what were the desired outcomes? What was the end state vision that they had? And why was that, that time important? Like why then? Like why now? And, and then we also go into all of the decision factors. And this is where it gets really interesting. So we, we uncover all of the forces that pulled or pushed them towards and away different vendors or different options along that journey. And that includes yourself as a client. So, and then ultimately, you know, what decision that they made and, and how is it going after? I don't think that that's something that can be uncovered in a Salesforce field that says, uh, why do we win this deal relationship with rep? And so, and, and even how you instrument your health scorecards, you know, we can all hope in this utopian world that we've got these amazing success plans and they're constantly iterating as, as companies are changing what they want to achieve and, and, you know, our scorecards are working perfectly and we're getting all these proactive triggers. But at the end of the day, that person was on that journey for could be six months, could be years with you and taking the time to really listen, uh, listen and understand that entire experience that they went through. Um, I, th I think that there's nothing that can really replace that. Yeah, Tosh, I couldn't uh, agree with you more. I think uh, you, you nailed it. One of the things that I, I often encountered, and in fact, one of the things that I asked early on and had a wonderful conversation with Alan at the beginning um, was, oh, why can't, why, why can't Gainsight do this on their own? Like, um, how come companies are encouraged to use a third party? Um, and what are sort of the, I'd love for you to jump into and tell me why um, companies are not successful at drawing out um, as much information as a third party, uh, like Iceberg. Yeah, so some companies actually do do this on their own. And in those cases, they could have product marketers conducting the interviews. They might have some of the CSM team or the sales team. The, the, there's pros and cons, right? Um, you know, the pro is it, it helps everyone be engaged with um, the customer and the buyer story. The challenge is that you can never really remove your bias. And so you probably have an idea or a perception about what happened. Also, interviewing is a very, um, you know, evolved skill that not everyone can do appropriately. And also everyone has, you know, their day job, which is, you know, the core, um, you know, the core uh, job that and function that they have. So to take time out of that to switch into mode of interviewing can be kind of difficult as well. So we really believe in having an unbiased conversation. And so that also affects from the, the buyer or the customer, they want to know that um, there's no risk that you're really just trying to re-engage them for another sales cycle or potentially, you know, saving, saving this churn. And so by having that conversation with a unbiased third party, we're fine that we find that they're much more able to um, be more conversational, be more open. And I mentioned deal therapy earlier. It's really like that. You know, they, they, and, and we're, we're very clear with them. It's all very transparent. They know that we're calling on behalf of the client. Um, but yeah, they, they really open up to us. And so that's very helpful. So if a company is, is trying to do this on their own or considering leveraging you, uh, another company like yours, um, you know, what would you recommend they, they start sort of like on, in, in terms of their research, um, should they start identifying uh, particular questions? Uh, can they do this by survey? I was wondering if you can give our listeners uh, some hints and tips there. 
Yeah, so one of the things we do, which might be helpful for an organization if they're starting out, is is we prepare a research brief. So um, almost like from a, from fresh eyes, you know, what is it that you're providing? What's the value prop? What does the product do? Um, and then and then look at what big questions that you have that you want to have answered, and take them down. And then also um, survey everyone and, and understand from your stakeholders. What are the hypotheses that might have about what's going on? Because during the interview, you can then uncover all of that and then test those hypotheses as well. So, so when we're working with an organization, it could be that they have, they've noticed uh, an increase in churn in the last six months, or they have a particular segment of deals and, you know, maybe a particular revenue band that they're noticing a lot of losses. So, so something's changed in either the competitive landscape or they've been disrupted or something, something's happened in the organization. So I would start with a problem that they're looking to solve for and, and start with a pointed problem and then, you know, build your research brief around that and then ask questions based on that as opposed to trying to just take on everything at once. And what are some of the outcomes that uh, companies are finding as a result of going through this exercise of doing some 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 deep research on on the why? Yeah, so it's it's interesting. I mean, there's you know obvious ones like increase in in win conversion rates, um, decrease in churn. But then there's some non-obvious ones like maybe you've got a rock star CSM or rep out there that's really able to. Um, drive large expansion with customers, like large upsells, but they're a bit of a lone wolf. And, you know, you need to figure out what that person's doing so you can replicate that across the business. That's another great example of um, what these interviews and what this research can provide. So I would say increase in win rates, um, improvement in retention, improvement in expansion. And then there's another little nugget that's come up just in the last couple of weeks, which is so if you're a you know SaaS company and you're seeking investment rounds, this d- uh, data and research is really, really valuable for the investors to release term sheets. So as part of your due diligence package and your investor package, rather than scrambling to get that ready at the end when they need that, um, why not have this as part of your ongoing you know cadence and process so that you've got these you know these win-loss and and CS um, research reports that you can provide at the ready? That's brilliant. I hadn't hadn't even contemplated uh, the effect that would have on that uh, uh, aspect of, of of growth and and, and maturation of a company. Uh, that that's that's really sharp. There, um, are you seeing this this kind of research um, demand um, being only isolated to to SaaS companies, or are you seeing a a, a sort of a outward expansion to other um, industries? So we have uh, a couple of outliers that are in, you know, healthcare and education, publishing, but I would say the predominant space that we're in anyway, the clients that we're working with are B2B um, technology companies and mostly SaaS. And actually, there's one other thing I wanted to mention around um, sort of impact, and that is accountability. So, and this is an example of actually one of Alan's first clients for going back over 10 years ago. Alan was doing these reports. This is before Eigenworks even existed. And he was the professional services leader and he was getting beat up because, um, you know, it would be CS today, but it was services at the time. He was getting beat up because clients were, uh, were, were churning. And what all of this data provided was, was actual data that he could go back to the other departments and hold them accountable. So the other big benefit, and this goes back to, you know, the comment earlier about the, the transparency 
um, culture that's at Gainsight is that if you've got everybody reading these reports, all of a sudden you've got product marketing, sales, CS, services, all of these departments holding each other accountable with, you know, unbiased data in front of them. So... So yeah, I just wanted to share that also. You know, uh, all of this is really about sort of inward facing, right? Um, looking at your own company, how um, you're pivoted or operationalizing the various touch points with a customer. Uh, I am super curious to find out what is the the customer experience through this process. You spoke a little bit about that earlier. Um, what are they saying? Is are, are do they walk away? Um, feeling empowered, you, empowered. You talked about this almost being like a therapy session. So uh, I am curious what what um, the customers are experiencing because ultimately it is about them. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, through the process, we're we're synthesizing what they say, we're playing it back to them, we're confirming, we're clarifying, but we're not putting in any of our own bias into these conversations. And so what we find is that the buyers and the customers, we've had people say at the end that they feel like it was extremely cathartic. Um, you know, they've invested in your organization and this potential partnership for months, if not years, um, to make this work. And so for them to be able to share their journey and what they experienced through that whole way, um, they, yeah, they've said that that's, that's definitely cathartic for them and they feel like they've been able to offload and, and have somebody really listen to them as well. You know, one of the things that um, I, I found interesting was there there would be a tend to be a re- uh, a response to any one particular report and um, the sort of gut reaction um, to change or implement a bunch of new processes based on one analysis or one report. Um, have you found, and I know Alan talked about sort of this magic number of 20, but I'm, I am curious, um, uh, how do you not react or what guidance would you provide a company um, to not overreact based on, on on one interview or one research subject. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's a good point actually. So we we conduct the individual interviews, but really you need a critical mass uh, for the data set to be able to start identifying patterns and themes and trends. And so we found that that magic number is is between twenty and twenty five, but that's really when we reach a saturation point. So what we do is we actually take the interviews and we code them into a system that you can then slice and dice and report and start really identifying these themes. And so, yeah, it's you know the individual reports are extremely helpful, but and and I feel like the individual reports are useful in the hands of anyone who's client facing, obviously product marketing, but then the roll up data and the trends and themes is where product marketing really like to go in and and also the CS leaders and identify like what's what's common enough that we need to then make a change. And so, yeah, 20 is that magic number. If you have multiple segments though, um, or nuances like deal band sizes, that sort of thing, then that 20 would apply to every single segment or deal band. It wouldn't be across the board as well. Is that, is that same for personas too? One of the things that, that we learned early on, just as maybe a parallel, uh, when we really started uh, pushing our, our MPS surveys out about five years ago, um, was the, the nuances between the decision maker, the MPS scores we were getting back and the people we were getting back from that persona versus the end users uh, versus the administrators. And sometimes it was a stark difference, right? Uh, where you would find uh, the administrators, you know, had a lot more to say about the usage and the product and 
a lot of good valuable feedback whereas the decision makers oh this is wonderful it's hit our top line and our bottom line and we love you mps 9 and 10 you know but there are two very distinct um uh, personas uh that need to be targeted is that same approach uh taken uh in your research so I would say for um, some of our clients, the decision maker is also, you know, the, the main champion. And so in those cases, we are lucky that one person can be able to share the, the entire end-to-end sort of journey and everything that happened along the way. Um, with organizations that are dealing with enterprise accounts, so very, very large organizations where, as you say, you've got adoption champions, you might have multiple decision makers. In those cases, we'll conduct two interviews per client. Um, it's per, it's our client that kind of drives, you know, they, they guide us as towards what they prefer. And we offer some best practices around that. But generally speaking, if that person's still with the organization, there's, there's one person that can provide the, um, you know, the ongoing view of, of what happened through the, through the, uh, through the journey. Was there one particular story that, that, that you found, um, in this whole process um, that fundamentally like change the way companies do things uh, that you, you could call out? Yeah, so there's a, you know, a couple of just um, you know, small examples I could share. Like one, we had a client where there was a theory inside the organization that the pricing was too high. And so we set off and you know, conducted all this research and, and had an ongoing study. And what we found was that there, were, there was a pattern of customers that were stating that it wasn't that the pricing was too high. It was actually that it was a consumption-based model, a usage-based model. And because that wasn't clearly communicated to them in the sales process and also with the documentation that they received, that even though they were a champion through the journey of deciding on this vendor, after when they became a customer, they were no longer a champion because they blew through their budget and um, you know they were frustrated, they were embarrassed in their company, they had to go ask for more money. And so that was something where we were able to provide a feedback loop uh, so, they, so that product marketing and then sales could, um, could adapt and, and make sure that that was uh, different on a go-forward basis. Is there anything that you would advise uh, internally uh, in terms of how to sort of communicate and uh, synthesize all of that data that's coming into the organization? I mean, it is, it, I, I've read those reports, right? They're, they're thick. They're hefty. Um, and so uh, how does Iceberg sort of help uh, disseminate um, uh, all of that information into something that's actionable? You're right. It's a pretty white glove, high touch service that we're providing. And these conversations, as you've seen, they're not scripted. They're, you know, they're free flowing. So there's a lot there. So we actually have an analyst that works with the research director who conducts the interview. And together they pull out all of those key insights and then they code them. We actually use Airtable for this. So Airtable is like a you know collaborative software spreadsheet on on steroids, but we code every single um, insight into nuggets. So we also code by sentiment. So you'll be able to see every time a competitor or any vendor was mentioned in every every interview, what all the vision for changes were, what all the benefits of working with your organization, including product features and benefits. And so from that, you can then create uh, different visualiz- visualizations of uh, pivot tables or blocks. They have different ways in Airtable that they present it. So that's the work that we do. Um, it depends. Some companies prefer to do that deep analysis themselves with that with that solution set available to them because we provide access. Um, but 
sometimes they want us to do that deep analysis work as well. So we would go in and we would identify all the, the themes and the trends and provide that in not only a QBR, but then an also much deeper analysis for you. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I think ultimately it does become about, you know, uh, like any survey, what are you going to do with the data once you have it? Um, and are you going to respond accordingly? So uh, thanks for calling that one out. What does the future of Iceberg IQ look like? Um, how does, you know, you, you have a really unique perspective. You've been in sales for a long time. Uh, you've, you've seen the growth of customer success internationally. Um, you're embarking on, on, on this new endeavor. Um, what does the outlook look like for SaaS and customer success? Um, and why is your mission so, so vital sort of moving forward uh, over the next decade. Yeah, I mean, I think this is, it's really interesting because I feel like this industry is just in its infancy and um, the more and more companies look to metrics and data, this this information, these conversations um, and seeing your buyer as a hero is is going to be so important to have hand in hand. I see that the uh, industry is going to evolve because it's, it's, it's all about you know the customer voice and the buyer voice. So I see the evolution from traditional win-loss expanding to the entire journey, so the entire life cycle. For us, I mean, frankly, it's a really high-touch service, and and I have very much a SaaS background, and so we're we're looking at how do we productize some of this. And I really don't know if it's going to be a product per se because we're getting so much qualitative information that how do you then um, quantify that really, or, or put it into a, a different form. So for us, it would be more about making sure that we're operationalizing some of those activities. Maybe there's a product at the end of the day that will then uh, be able to license back to companies if they want to start doing some of this in-house. But for now, I mean, we're just hitting the ground running and, and conducting interviews and this research. And, and we're really excited about Pulse coming up in a few months. So Eigenworks used to host the Innovation Theater. And so um, Gainsight was kind enough to extend that um, offer to us as well. So we've just signed up for that. So yeah, really excited to be working. And I think, I think CES leaders need to be armed with this data also to be able to, you know, hold other departments accountable and ultimately be able to, you know, improve their retention rates and also drive more expansion with their with their existing base. I, I agreed. And I, and I think there is this myth, right? Um, you can become so overwhelmed uh, with the data and the data signals. And I think there's um, always this aspect of, you know, how do you scale? Um, and you scale with data, you scale with product. Um, but in the end, uh, we are all still engaging other humans. Uh, they're not just customers. Um, and these are people using uh, our products and our solutions. And I, I, I really appreciate in a way that um, uh, elevates uh, the human factor here um, that you just won't get in any other mechanism uh, that is out there as, as part of emotion. So for our listeners, um, if you have not gone through this process of doing a deep analysis um, I'm going to highly encourage you to, 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 to call Natasha um, and her team and uh, find out about uh, what that experience is like because it absolutely is something that you have to add as uh, an angle, uh, as an additional dimension um, when you look at the why of customers are winning or why customers are losing. Um, and I think the last thing I want to talk about with you today um, time permitting here, Natasha, is um, 
you know, is it just at uh, certain moments of truth that uh, you think this is important? Uh, you, you talked to me about this sort of being a, a full life cycle uh, experience. So I think it's hard to define those moments of truth because they're specific to every single individual on this journey. So if a company, if a customer churns, it's possible that they made that decision to churn months before and they might have already started working with an alternative solution or provider to get everything in place so that they could switch, you know, at the time of renewal or even before. And so how do you really uncover that? And so I think, you know, back to this like utopia, I think we all can map out through a journey what we what we think to be these moments of truth. Like what are the defining moments that makes a customer successful? But we know we know humans are fluid, customers are fluid, right? Decisions um what they're looking for changes, their what we say quests, that changes. Um, people change with inside an organization. They might acquire new companies along the way. So it's a matter of um, keeping a pulse on that on an ongoing basis. And we really look sort of retroactively at, at what happened, um, which helps you be more predictable in the future. Got it. So you're not just coming in with, with sort of a single slice, one event kind of perspective. No, we look at every single factor along, along that journey that led them to you or away from you. Natasha, is there anything else you'd like to share? Um, no, I mean, I just wanted to say thank you, Ruben, and to the Gainsight team. And I've, yeah, I've just been so humbled and honored about this whole, this whole journey. And, and we're just thrilled to be working with the, the Gainsight Pulse community. So, yeah, thank you so much. And um, look forward to speaking to your listeners. And feel free to reach out if anyone has any questions. Oh, thank you so much for um, uh, taking on and continuing on this legacy that uh, – our, our beloved late Alan uh, Armstrong uh, initiated. And uh, I am really looking forward uh, to the amazing work uh, that you'll continue to do um, because ultimately it, it's about improvement. It's about uh, improving the experience, um, about improving companies and uh, really making the world better um, in, in our own little way, uh, even if it's in tech, right? So. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Natasha. Um, stay warm uh, and, and blessings to you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Customer Success Podcast. If you like what you heard and want to learn more about customer success every single week, make sure to hit that subscribe button and come back to next week's episode. Until the next time, you've been listening to the Customer Success Podcast brought to you by Gainsight the customer success company.